Master with the Brahmo devotees. So we will continue from the portion where we have just ended in the last class. The Saguna Brahman, Sri Ramakrishna is addressing the Brahmo devotees. He is explaining to them the nature of their worship, that how, what's the concept of divinity of the Brahmo's the devotees. That he is explaining to the Brahma devotees. What he is saying? The Saguna Brahman is meant for the Bhaktas. In other words, a Bhakta believes that God has attributes and reveals himself to men as a person assuming forms. It is he who listens to our prayers. The prayers that you utter are directed to him alone. You are Bhaktas not Gyanis or Vedantists. It doesn't matter whether you accept God with form or not. It is enough to feel that God is a person who listens to our prayers, who creates, preserves and destroys the universe and who is endowed with infinite power. So here we find Sri Ramakrishna is indicating the various uh, this, the various concepts of the divinities which we have in the Vedas, in the Vedanta. So there are the three ideas. The one is the Advaita, the idea of non-dual Vedanta. The next is Vishishta Advaita. It is the idea of non, it is qualified non-dualism and Dvaita, which speaks of dualism. So you may say that how can the divinity have three different concepts? If it is the same God and same God alone, how can it be the dualism? That the, what is the basic difference between these three? That the Advaitins say that the Advaitins say that the God is apart from the soul, that our soul and God, these are two apart. In all the Abrahamic religions, that's the idea, basic idea. That God and the soul are apart. In Vishishtadvaita, what's the idea? God and the soul, what's the relation? The soul, each and every individual is a, is a part. It is not apart. Is a part of the absolute. The individuals are a part of the absolute. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that you take a fruit, 
that all the the various parts of the fruit the external shell the kernel the flesh these are the various parts all these parts together constitute the whole just in our body i have a sense i have a feeling that i am an individual but the science will say you that we are constituted of trillions of cells and each cell has its own life as i was hearing from the famous swami uh, the chinna jr swami ji few days back he was very nicely explaining so there the concept of this divinity is that the same thing is in the macrocosm the entire universe together constitute the soul behind the universe constitute the paramatman and the individual beings the everything of name and form whatever i see they constitute the part so the soul is a part of the absolute of the paramatman and what is advaita non dualism that the soul and the paramatman are the same and the same alone there is no differentiation between the two the atman is the paramatman that the tatvamasi that you are that you are that ultimate conscious principle so now the question arises how can this three varied opinions be there of the same divinity that one you are, one is saying that you are one with the absolute the other is saying you are a part of it and the another is saying that you are totally separate from it it's actually three different perspectives from which i am looking at the same reality what do you mean by perspective that's why in our scriptures all the philosophies are called darshana darshana means to look a particular perspective to see from my perspective what i am seeing is correct the same truth can appear as different from the perspective from which you are seeing just to give an example this building if i take a photo from the east and then i take a photo from the west i take a photo from the north from the south all the four photos will be different it won't look the same but it is the same house from which angle which i cannot have the vision of the house as a whole the perspective from which i am seeing that constitutes my vision and that though i am looking at the same reality it may appear as different as sri ramakrishna in the gospel of sri ram in the in the, in the gospel in some other place is in, is giving a very nice example that five blind men they were asked to describe the shape of the elephant there's an elephant and five blind blind men were asked to de- decipher to find out the shape of the elephant one blind man went and touched its trunk and he told that it is like a very stout rope someone touched its leg and told it's like a pillar someone touched its belly and told it's like a cauldron someone touched its ear and they told it's like a fan like a willow and someone touched the tail and told it's like a thin uh, rope so just see the five are describing the elephant in five different ways are any of them wrong i cannot say they are all partially true 
but they are not seeing the entire picture. From the perspective from which they are looking it, at it, that gives the uh, opinion what they are speaking of. So when we are speaking of the highest reality, from what perspective I am saying, that speaks of the reality. So what's the various perspectives from which we are seeing? There's a famous uh, couplet. It is attributed to Hanuman that when Rama asked Hanuman that how, what, what is your opinion about me? How do you look at me? What do you think of me? And the reply of Hanuman is a very famous couplet which speaks of the three different perspectives from which I am looking at the divine. He is saying, Deha buddhya dasoham. When I am having the idea that I am this body, I am identified with this body, I am your servant. You are the master, I am your servant. You are the creator, I am the created. Deha buddhya dasoham jiva buddhya. When I think I am the jiva, jiva buddhya tavangshaka. I am a part of you. Jiva buddhya tavangshaka. Atma buddhya tavevaham. When I am identified with myself, I know that I am you are cannot be differentiated. We are all identified. Tavevaham. I am you only. Atma buddhya tavevaham iti me nishchita matihi. This is my firm conviction. So if you try to understand what he is saying, Deha buddhya. When you identify, when we identify with our body, whatever we are seeing with the senses that we take to be the ultimate, that to be real, then you will find a wonderful thing that in our scriptures they say the ultimate reality, which is beyond all attributes, which is beyond all shape, form, it is an undifferentiated consciousness, that when finds expression as the universe. It finds expression as Shakti, Rim, the Shakti, the Vijaya of Shakti is Rim. The Vijaya of the Absolute is the Om. Om finds expression as Rim. And that Shakti, again, is not chaotic. It's not chaotic. It finds expression as in some rhythm, in some laws. That in Sanskrit is called Rhythm. See, these words are also so near, Rhythm and Rhythm. It's in rhythm. The song which we were singing in the Arthrikon, the second song, uh, which is a prayer to Sri Ramakrishna, it starts with that Om, Rim, Rhythm. The Absolute finds expression as Shakti. The Shakti again finds expression as the laws, the rhythm. So if you look at the universe, you will find there is a tremendous, uh, uh, what you say, there's a balance. It is not chaotic. Uh, just to say that uh, the earth is tilted in 23 and a half degrees. If the tilt was a bit more, life wouldn't have been possible. It would have been very cold. The sun rays would be much more oblique. And life is not possible. If it was a bit straight, it will, the heat will be so much, life is not possible. If the earth's size was a bit bigger, the heavier gases would have been in the atmosphere. Life wouldn't have been possible. If it is a bit smaller, there wouldn't be oxygen. Hydrogen and helium alone will be there. Life is not possible. It's a tremendous balance within your body. The enzymes, the hormones, the everything are secreted in such a way. The 
what you say the homeostasis is mentioned in their body the temperature is maintained you will find everything is in precision a little disturbance is at the cost of your life so this rhythm you find this perfect rhythm has enabled my existence so that gives a picture of something larger there is a design as if someone has as if designed the universe it's not chaotic so if there is a design there is a designer so when i see this external world i feel that there is a design there is a plan as if behind it and if there is a plan there must be someone if something is chaotic then it, it there is no question of uh, some designer behind it like the clouds it is a pattern it's not a design but when you come to this uh, earth and just try to find out the universal laws the same gravitation which works here works anywhere in the universe so this universality of the laws this speaks of the rhythm that rhythm again speaks of some design so there it must be someone so from all the uh, dualistic religion is based on that idea that there must be someone who has created this universe when you take this universe to be real from that point the idea is there is a creator and we are all the created so deha buddhya when i think of myself as a body and as a body the all the sense uh, experiences which i have that i take to be real from there that standpoint duality is seems to be okay it's correct and then jiva buddhya jiva speaks of the mind what is the jiva that which transmigrates the idea is that the body may fall off but we continue with our mind in the process of transmigration the mind continues shukshma sharir is the mind in the scriptures they say that just the way our nails grow and we pair it off and again it grows similarly from the mind like nails one after other this sthula sharira this gross body comes out as per our samskaras as per the results of our karma the shukshma sharira is like the real body and this sthula sharira is just like the nail the nail grows we pair off again the nail comes so the jiva the real jiva is the mind now in if even in science they will say that there is not two there's thousands of mind there is one mind and we all are related to it just the way to give an example in the internet everything is every all oh, so many that knowledge is available so much information is available but what constitutes my world what i download isn't it what i download that constitutes my world similarly there is a cosmic mind and what is what constitutes my personality what i have downloaded as per my samskaras like if i am a medical student i will be downloading all the medical files from the internet that constitutes my world here also we are downloading only that thing which constitutes my personality what my likes and dislikes my latent impressions those are the thing but cosmic mind is one you may say wow because all our perceptions speak of that that is there is something called one mind how the perceptions happen even the modern science helps us to understand it in a much better way that what i see is not outside there what is outside there i can never know there is something but what it is i can never know what i see is actually the projection of the mind 
when I see the red flower, the redness is not outside. It is just a wavelength of light which comes and strikes my eyes. Its function is over there. The nervous impulse which is taken to the brain, the color perception center doesn't perceive color. It is just the nerve impulse which strikes it. And after it strikes, the red color is actually projected from the mind to the object to envelop it. And then I see the object as red. All our perceptions, whatever we are hearing, is actually the projection of the mind. Now, if it is a projection of the mind, it is like an hallucination. We all are hallucinating. But an interesting thing is there. We all are hallucinating in the same way. When I say it's a red flower, you also agree it's a red flower. So the reality is not absolute reality, it is a consensus reality. We all give vote as if. When you say it is red, I also say it's red, so it is red. So consensus reality, we all, so how it has, is it possible that we are all hallucinating the same way? It speaks of the same mind. The same mind, which as uh, in default we have the same, and as per our samskaras, we have some uh, unique characteristics. But the default functioning is the same. It's just like you go to the, uh, buy a mobile phone, all the mobile phone of a particular brand is the same, same type. You buy a phone and you personalize it, then it becomes your phone. But before buying, before personalizing, it's all the same. The same design, the everything. The same way it operates, the same way its softwares have, are, have been all uploaded there. Now you buy, the moment you personalize, then yeah, that your, what you say, the this contact list won't be the same as others. The, the, your email ID, your other things which you have stored, the apps which you have uploaded, that will be different as per your choice. But the default is the same. So that's just like the cosmic mind. So here they're saying it is that what? When I am jiva, I am as if a part. You are the whole. When you are identifying with the mind, there's one mind just like that internet. Just uh, we can give another example in the yoga sastra they gave that like the earth is just like the cosmic mind. Each and every seed is the individual. When I plant a seed, it is plant we think grows from the seed. It is not actually the seed which grows into the plant. It is the soil which is growing into the plant. Seed is such a small thing. It is just a gateway. What's the gateway? All the nutrients, water, everything is in the soil. It is there, everything is in the soil. The plant, this plant, the seed, has the capacity, like in your computer, the gates have the capacity to process the information in a particular way. Here also they are doing the same thing. That's why we say such and such plant is rich in potassium, such is such and plant is rich in magnesium, fruit is. What has happened? From where, from, from where the potassium magnesium came? Did it come from the seed? No. It was in the soil. A particular plant becomes the gateway for those type of nutrients to pass and for the growth. So what it speaks of? that the soil is like the cosmic mind, the seeds are like the individual, which defines the individuality of the tree. So that way, when you are a jiva, when you think yourself as the mind, so then as if you are a part of the whole. And as the Atman, when you are identifying yourself with the absolute reality, not even the mind, the Vedanta says, mind is like a prism. When the light, white light falls on the prism, it breaks into the spectrum of seven colors. So these seven colors constitutes the world of name and form. The prism is the mind. The behind the mind, the white light is the 
ultimate source of light which is breaking into the spectrum. Similarly, in Vedanta they say, when the mind comes in association with the conscious principle, then it breaks into the spectrum of this world of name and form. If you can remove the mind, the spectrum falls off. What remains is the white light alone. Where the spectrum has gone, it has merged in the white light. Where the mind, it has merged in the white light. Everything has gone in the white light. Similarly, when the mind falls off, in spiritual journey, there is a stage when you go beyond the mind. You may say, how is it possible? This, we are giving just hints. It's a vast discussion. Just, you can go beyond the mind. How is it possible? Mind is mind as long as you can jump from thought to thought. That's why they say, this vritti, this is from jump, this video can jump from thought to thought, then only the mind can work. If you are having a same thought that happens in all the religious tradition, those who are the practitioners, those who just are not mere believers, the so-called those who have taken religion very seriously and practice religion, all the tradition speaks of entering into a state of concentration through Tremendous absorption. When you are thinking of one idea, all other ideas falls off. Whatever may be the concept of divinity, that may vary. My concept of divinity may be different from your concept. But when I am meditating on my concept and I can go to that state where there is only one thought, a wonderful thing happens. The mind cannot stay in one thought. In this world, everything is a flow. Everything is a flow. We, can, we all can realize that. Everything, our life is a flow. What I'm seeing in the external world, everything is flowing. Nothing is just stationary. And why there is flow? Because there is polarity. The moment there is polarity, there will be flow. Why water flows? Because there's a difference of level. Only from higher level to the lower level, water will flow. If both the level becomes same, no flow. Water flow stops. Why there is electricity? Because there's difference of potential. If both the ends have same potential, no current. Magnetism, same. North Pole, South Pole. If both are North Pole of same power, this, it is neutralized. There is no expression of magnetism. So when the polarity is resolved, there is no flow. In the mind, when it is jumping from thought to thought, it speaks of the polarity. One thought to another thought. That is incessantly happening. You try to keep your mind calm, you will find it is impossible. It is constantly jumping. If through that tremendous focus, if I can keep the mind in one thought, the mind for the time being collapses. It falls off. The prism has gone. And suddenly all the mystics, they say, in the world you will find all the mystics, whether it is Christian, whether it is in Islam, the Sufis, in Hinduism, in any mystic tradition, they speak of that unified whole. They go to a realization where they find they are one with that absolute. In other religions, sometimes a lot of persecution has happened because they never understood. Like in Islam, Al-Haq means the ultimate truth. When the Sufis started saying An-Al-Haq, they were persecuted. An-Al-Haq means when you add that An, that it becomes I am the truth. Al-Haq is the truth. The moment you say An-Al-Haq, it is a blasphemy. For the believers, but for one who has gone to the realization, he is not a mere believer. He has gone beyond the doctrine. He is speaking of his identification with that absolute. The Christian myst uh, mystics, Mr. Eckhart, he was on the verge of persecution. He died, was, his death was his bliss. He, was, he would have been persecuted. There was a lot of allegations against him. 
because he was also speaking almost in that language of Advaita. You have never read Advaita Vedanta. The proof of Advaita is that all the mystics speak in the same language. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Shekhane, Shab Shealer Akra, that there is so much difference in various religions as per the belief system, as per the doctrines, dogmas are concerned. But is there any uh, point where they all meet? Sri Ramakrishna is unique way saying there, when you go to that mystic realization of that unified whole, there all the fox howls in the same manner. akra. So what has happened? When you go to that state, when your mind also has fallen off, even for the time being, even for a flash, suddenly you find that the world is not there. You are, but that your amness is no more local. Now if I close my eyes, my ears, I know I am. But that amnes is local. I am sitting somewhere. I know it is centered here. But when you go to that type of realization, it is not that you become like a veggie. You are fully aware. You are conscious. But that is something like non-local. It is beyond space, time, causation. That amnes. From that when you come down to this stage, then you know. From there this world has been projected. So now you see, it is a question of three different perspectives. Through practice, first you as a believer, you start as a Dvaitin. And then when you you get more and more absorbed, you go beyond the sense that you drive within, you become as if uh, everything, your all the contemplation is now in the mind. Then that you, be, you become a Vishishta Dvaitin first. First that idea comes that I am a part. Even in Bible you will find when Jesus is speaking to the ordinary folklore, he is saying, Thou God who is in heaven. That's a dualistic idea. And then to his near ones he's saying that you that in a, in a, the, you know the, in the vine, the, all the grapes, that I am the vine, uh, that, uh, God, that I am the grape, God is the vine. Means he speaks of a part. When the entire vine, means so many grapes together, the cluster, that everything constitutes the whole. And I am just a grape there. So you see it is the idea of Vishishtadvaita. And then, the thing for which even Jesus has to face the accusation of blasphemy when he is saying, I and my father are one. So it is there. All You will find these categories are there in all the religion. Even Jesus is saying the same thing. So that's the idea. That the, when he is saying that you are not Vedantists, that you don't believe in, the, the, the Brahmos never believed in the form. There is no form. But you believe in attributes. That God is there, he has created the universe. So you are dualists, you are not that jnani, you are not advaitins. So you are the dualists. So the, the Brahmo's concept of divinity is more similar to the Abrahamic religions, uh, religions idea of divinity. It has nothing to do with the idea of the jnani, the advaitins. That's what is in, indicating. So now let us go to the words of Ramakrishna. That's why we say when you read the gospel, if you have don't have the understanding of the scripture as a background, the meanings become very limited. When you have the scriptures and with that you read the gospel, the simple words you will find so much profound. He has spoken so simply, but actually a lot of things has been spoken inside it. So what he's saying, the Saguna Brahman is meant for the bhaktas, where the duality is there. In other words, a bhakta believes the God has attributes and reveals himself to men as a person, assuming forms. It is he 
who listens to our prayers. The prayers that you utter are directed to him alone. You are bhaktas, not jnanis or vedantists. It doesn't matter whether you accept God with form or not. It is enough to feel that God is a person who listens to our prayers, who creates, preserves and destroys the universe and who is endowed with infinite power. This, uh, there are so many ideas, layers of ideas hidden in it, that God with form, without form. These are all, uh, like Buddha used to say a very interesting thing. When someone asked Buddha that, do you believe in God? He was quiet, he never answered. So the person thought that most probably doesn't believe in God. So was, oh, so you don't believe in God? Again he was quiet, he never answered. Whether God is, he is not answering. Whether God is not, he is not answering. So the man was frustrated, he left. And then Ananda, Buddha's intimate disciple, he was just near him. So now he was a bit surprised. Why he is quiet? So he asked Buddha when the man left, that why don't you answer? Either you say yes or no. And the reply of Buddha is something very interesting. That I am pointing to the moon with my index finger and the person takes the index finger to be the moon. Means you will find the, uh, what a wonderful allegory he is saying. A small child who is yet to develop focus. The child is in the mother's lap. The mother takes in a full moon uh, night, the mother takes the child out and tries to show the, the moon to the child. Points to the moon with, his, with her finger. The child has yet to develop focus, but she, the child is very much dependent on the mother. So it has developed a, to a certain extent a focus, it looks only at the mother. When the mother is pointing with the finger to the moon, still the child is looking at mother's face only. The mother told you, fool, I am just saying you look at the moon. And she forcefully catches hold of the chin of the child and turns it towards the index finger and says, see, see, there is the moon. After all this attempt, the mother finds that the child is so much attached to the mother she knows no, he knows nothing than the mother. At last his attention is on the index finger. That the index finger is pointing something. He has to look at that. That never, that never uh, he can conceive of. So what is the idea they are saying? That all these form or formless, all these are index fingers. You, whether it is a form or it is formless. These are just concepts. The one who thinks that God is formless. It is also belief for him. Who thinks God has form? It is also belief. Have you seen God? No. Whether it is formless or from both are belief. When Narendranath, the young Swami Vivekananda, who was just a young boy, he was Naren, he went to Ramakrishna and wanted told that such and such faith is a blind faith. Ramakrishna's reply was wonderful. He asked, can you say me which faith has eyes? All faith are blind. Till you realize they are all blind. But all these beliefs Though they are blind, but they can be eye-opener. It's, it's a programming. What's the programming? That this form or formless, that's not important. How intently you are meditating on that concept. That can take you to the higher mystical realizations. The form has certain advantage. It's a means, it's not the end. What's the advantage? That all our thoughts you will have, has two components. When I am thinking, suppose the mother is thinking of the child. Child is in the school, mother is at home. She is thinking of the child. 
The moment she is thinking of the child, there are two things happening. In her mind, she is repeating the name of the child and an image is formed in her mind. So it's a visualization and the name. So they say this every thought has two components, Nama, Rupa. Now when I am meditating, if I know it's not the ultimate, ultimate is something, but why to make the meditation effective, if I take a form, it can be very helpful. How? So as every thought has two components, now if you think of God as formless and take that abstract idea, when you are meditating, chances of distractions are more. Because you are only meditating on a concept which doesn't have a particular visualization corresponding to it. So that aspect of your mind which visualizes, that is left free. And that will wander. So that will wander and that way to really develop a focus becomes a big challenging job. So now you will understand these forms of these divinities, they are not the ultimate, but it can help you in really creating the focus. But when you go to that ultimate, the mind falls off, you go to that absolute. That's why Sri Ramakrishna says, is to say a wonderful thing. All the various forms of divinities are like a hole which has been created in the wall of ego, in the wall of mind. If the mind is a wall, if your sense ahankara, your idea of this individuality is a wall, through your contemplation you have as if created a hole and now you peep through the hole you see infinite expanse, you see infinity. So if the shape of the hole is circular, I see through the circle that infinite expanse and I may assume that it is this only that circle, circular hole which can give you that idea of that infinity. If someone has created a circle, a, a rectangular hole, he will think it's only through that rectangular hole you can see that infinity. So, so all these various concepts of divinities are like the holes which you are creating. As we, through our practice, create only one hole, we get fixed with that idea that that's the only way, there's the one way to reach that absolute. The speciality of Ramakrishna is he practiced all the religions. He, that's a very nice term is used for him. He was a spiritual glutton. He was a spiritual glutton. He was not satisfied with just one form of practice. When he, got, when he went to that absolute realization through one form of practice, immediately the curiosity came. Do, what the other religions, are they true? If that practice through them can take me to that realization, one after other he takes so many practice in 12 years. A huge gamut of religion he covered and went to the realization and it was from his conviction. It was not just a belief that all the religions are true. Now you will find that what a wonderful thing he is saying, whether it is form, whether it is formless, that doesn't matter. Or how much yearning you have, how much faith you have in that and how much yearning you have to really realize. That's the thing that can take you to that ultimate realization. So that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That's why, that's why the next sentence which Ramakrishna is saying, it is easier to attain God by following the path of devotion. Why it is easier by the path of devotion? Because after all, all our concentration speaks of devotion at last. We think meditation is a matter of will. Is it a matter of will? If it is a matter of will, it's never a perfect meditation. The will has to get converted into your emotion. It happens. That's the way our mind works. How it works? Anything which you do again and again, maybe out of necessity or whatever may be the reason. The mind, in the mind when you do again and again, a path is as if created in the mind. Just when you walk through the grass field, 
If you take the same route every day, the grass gets dried up and a road is created. The same way in the mind, when you traverse the same path, a path is created. And once the path is created, you start liking to do it. You create an obsession for doing. You forget the necessity. Just to do it becomes your obsession. Now you will find this is the fact which has been used by all the religious tradition. If you ask for what is the commonality of the religious tradition, a wonderful commonality is there. Whatever may be the belief, you forget the belief system, what believes the doctrines. Is there any religion where there is uh, the practice of repetition is not there? You go to the church, they repeat the same prayer. There is, they also have this rosary, the same prayers they will be repeating on the rosary. If you go to the Islam religion, the same prayers every day, five times a day, they're doing it. All the religion speaks of repetition, whatever may be the belief. And this repetition, when you go again and again, first I have to do with my will, I don't like it. The religions are fixed in the morning, in the evening, or five times a day, whatever it may be. You go on doing, go on doing, go on doing. Initially, it may be just a matter of will. I'm doing with a resolution. I don't like it, but I have been asked whether you like it or not, you have to do it. After some time, the nature of the mind is such. Once the path is created, once it gets wired, you develop a liking for it. And once you get the liking for it, your meditation now becomes spontaneous because it is now linked to your emotion. When once anything gets linked to your emotion, the meditation becomes spontaneous. Just jokingly we say, the mother never meditates on the child that fearing that him, she may forget the child. The love makes her think of her, the child always. That the maternal love makes the mother think of the child, whatever she may be doing. The thought of the child, in the words of Ramakrishna, for the mother has become like toothache. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, "Gods, the thought of the God should become your toothache. When you have a toothache, whatever you may be doing, whatever household activities you may be doing, can you forget it? It's still there in the background of your mind. You can never forget. Those who have toothache, they all know that how intense that feeling is. Similarly, when anything, that emotion develops, first through will, it has grown into devotion, and when the devotion has developed, your meditation has become spontaneous. The more it becomes spontaneous, the more it becomes intense, the more it becomes intense, the more it takes you to that state where the triad collapse. Dhyana, dhyata, dhyata, that I am meditating because you become one with the object of meditation. It collapses and it takes you to that realization. So just see why he is saying that devotion is an easier path. The more, if you just sit and go on analyzing, just the scriptures. It's just like Sri Ramakrishna used to say, he's, uh, won't you consider him as a fool who after going to the uh, an orchard, say a mango orchard, just uh, someone has told that you, have, you can have as many mangoes as possible. You cannot take them, you just go and have. And two friends go. One friend is very, what you say, he always wants this to analyze things. So he sits down with a pen that this tree, how many leaves it must have, branches, he goes on counting leaves and branches. The other is not bothered about counting leaves and branches. He goes on taking the mango. So whom you will consider the intelligent? The one who is testing the mango. So just analysis, speculations, theology, they are the, just the external surface of the religion. It doesn't help us to be really spiritual. Somehow to grow that devotion, 
through the practice that itself will take you to that highest rungs of realization and that's the thing that's why sri ramakrishna is saying it is easier to attain god by following the path of devotion brahmo devotee sir is it possible for one to see god if so why cannot we see him master yes he can surely be seen one can see his forms and his formless aspect as well how can i explain that to you so sri ramakrishna what he is saying is something interesting that when you go to the realization you develop a conviction and once you develop conviction you never have the urge to really explain to give an example as long as you have not seen the ocean you have read it in the geography book a small child and then someone asks whether the ocean is you will go on quoting what you have studied in that book and try to argue reason that there is but one who have seen the ocean who have not read the textbook and someone cast ask where the ocean is he will say yes it is prove it to me well how can i prove it to you it is there it is existing it is there i have seen it so when you have seen it anything when you have seen the reason falls off reasoning is only when you have not seen the thing it is still a concept the master here is has actually went through this all these varied parts of religion he have realized the truth of it so the question of explanation doesn't come so that's what he is saying one can see his forms and his formless aspect everything is possible that when he starts his journey when your meditation becomes intense you are meditating on the form you have yet to create a hole in the wall of ego but you have already created what you say that you have carved out the form in your mind you have started visualizing you know that visualization can be very vivid when you meditate intensely on a thing the visualizations can be extremely vivid it is it can be more real than this external world you may say how now when i am seeing the external world how i am seeing that there is something outside that the mind is projecting that isn't that to be always explaining that what is out there, there we don't know that it acts as a stimulus that stimulus activates the mind and the mind will be projecting it out as a red flower or whatever it may be now if it so happens that without the stimulus external stimulus the mind starts projecting it happens for the schizophrenic there's so much so many things then you may say the religious people are schizophrenic then there's a there's a very subtle difference there's a very subtle difference a schizophrenic cannot differentiate between the world of imagination and the world of real both are same to him and that's why all the confusion starts but for a spiritual aspirant he through his practices went there so he knows the difference that this is the world and when i close my eyes and go to the meditation and see this that's the other world so he can distinguish though so he, there there is no such confusion but that what he sees can be so vivid that his idea comes that after all it is a projection of the mind this world is also the projection of the mind so that way renunciation for the so called tangible world comes automatically because he realizes it is so vivid but there is no confusion uh, there is a nice story in the life of ramakrishna itself when ramakrishna's uh, nephew ridai used to serve him sir ramakrishna and he saw that ramakrishna is always in such divine fervor and there is very divine realizations so he felt lured that he felt tempted that why not me so he told that you if you want 
you, if you bless me, I can also have those realizations. Ramakrishna told, be satisfied with what you are doing. Don't just uh, think of going to that state. Because you need some preparation for that. But as he was pestering, Ramakrishna one day told, okay, if you are willing, let it be. And then Ramakrishna in the dusk in the evening was returning from the bank of the Ganges to his room and Ridai was following him and suddenly he saw that Ramakrishna is not just a man of flesh and bones, he is fully illumined. And he was surprised, he looked at himself, he saw he is also illumined. And their feet, both Ramakrishna's feet and his feet is not touching the ground, they are as if ethereal, they are moving. And Rida started screaming at the top of his voice, Oh, uncle, what we are doing here? Come, let us go and preach the world, enlighten the world. Ramakrishna immediately came and touched him and told, You fool, that's why I just told that it needs preparation. Now you cannot distinguish between the two and you are making an uproar. The people will come and say you are mad. You cannot distinguish between these two. You have not gone through that preparation. So again he touched him, again he became stupor. And he was not very happy about it. But Ramakrishna told that if you continue with this state. At last, people will just say you are mad, nothing else. Throughout the day, I am having so many realizations. Do I make such an uproar? That's the distinction. So here, when you are proceeding in the spiritual journey, a time will come. These visions, the world of visions will open up. But if you know the science behind it, know it for certain, again, that that is imagination. Then you say, then it is just mere imagination. The spiritual aspirant will say you, yes, yes, that is imagination, this world is also imagination. A time will come, both this imagination will fall off. This imagination will help you to get rid of this imagination. Sri Ramakrishna's examples are wonderful. That why this, how these imaginations are helpful. That it is not just like a schizophrenic person confusing us. It actually helps us to evolve. How? He used to say, suppose you are going through a forest and a th there is a thorny bush you accidentally stamp over it and a thorn just pierce, gets pierced, pierces you. The thorn pierces you, it enters into your flesh and there is a terrible pain. Now to get rid of that thorn, what do you do? You sit down and from the same thorny bush, you, prick, you just pluck another thorn. And with this thorn, you remove this thorn which has pierced you. After you have removed, both the thorns you throw. So in the, those who believe in God with form, formless, whatever it may be, when it takes them to that world of realization, it helps them to get rid of this world which we think to be so tangible, so vivid. They can now easily, because now they see it is so tangible, it is so vivid, that idea, that conviction comes, that this is also a projection. They can easily get rid of this. And then ultimately, when it, it goes to that state where the mind falls off, both the thorns have been thrown off. It has gone. So you will find that it is possible to see God. And Sri Ramakrishna has went through all those stages. He has went through all those stages. And that's why he is saying with conviction, yes, he can surely be seen. One can see his forms and his formless aspect as well. How can I explain that to you? He has realized he need not have to go for all those explorations. So Brahma devotee, what are the means by which one can see God? And now, this is the only one thing which is required is yearning, intense yearning. Because the more intense is your yearning, the more focused is your mind, the more focused is your mind, the more quickly you go to the realization. You know, the 
impressions in our mind is formed by two things. One is repetition and another is how intently you are thinking. To give an example, suppose, God forbid it never happens, you are driving the car and suppose either you are on the wrong lane or the car which is coming from the front is in the wrong lane and you find almost a head-on collision is going to happen and you are extremely scared and both just breaks and just before colliding they stop. So accident never happened. And you, ha you have a sense, tremendous sense of relief. Now you will find that's a singular occasion, singular thing which has happened. But throughout your life, even in your deathbed, if someone asks you what happened, you will remember vividly, nothing you have forgotten. The fear of death made your mind so focused, all the events that happened at that moment, it happened as if in a slow motion and it all got registered in your mind, you never forget it. So how focused you are on that depends how quickly you go to the realization that the more that you are focused, the number of repetitions is not required. Just in one go. That's why even you will find that Shankaracharya says in our scriptures they mention that when the words of revelation, when this guru speaks out the mantra, the mantra has the power to reveal the truth. If the uh, aspirant is really very, very, uh, what you say, that focused, just by hearing immediately it takes him, so the flash it takes him to the realization. For others, it may take long time. By repetition, it may happen. So when it will happen, it depends on the intensity. Yearning, if you have deep yearning, it, it can happen immediately. In the Yoga Sutra, there is a Sutra, Tivra Sangveganam Asana. That all the practices you have mentioned, well, I will go through it. But when I am going to the realization, the answer is Tivra Sangveganam. That, that one who has Tivra Sangvega, tremendous longing, it is just waiting for him. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that if that yearning is like the red hue of the dawn, the sun is yet to be seen in the dawn. The sun hasn't risen. It is yet to be seen. But you see the red hue. The sky, you see the red hue of the sky. And you know, it's a matter of few minutes. The sun will be visible. So Sri Ramakrishna is saying, yearning is like that red hue of the dawn. Once it is there, you know, the vision is just waiting for you. So now the reply of Sri Ramakrishna that, what is the means to see God? Only one thing is saying. Can you weep for him with intense longing of heart? Men shed a jug full of tears for the sake of their children, for their wives and for money. But who weeps for God? So how much intensity is required? In some other place Sri Ramakrishna is saying, there's this three intensity, your love for the child, your love for your spouse and your love for money. Put them together, that intensity. If you have, know it for certain, it is just waiting for you. But who is for God? So long as the child remains engrossed with its toys, the mother, mother looks after her cooking and her other household duties. But when the child no longer relishes the toys, it throws them aside and yells for its mother. Then the mother takes the rice pot down from the earth, runs in haste and takes the child in her arms. This, the way Ramakrishna is speaking is so wonderful. It's a wonderful scripture with so simple words, the profound truths he just brings at home to your mind in a simple way. How so nice example is giving. So it's a yearning which brings the realization 
immediately, instantly. So that's the thing which has been indicated. That what's the way is the only thing. And again, he's speaking from his own life. He's not actually quoting scripture. His first realization happened only because of yearning. The tremendous yearning took him to the realization. The gurus came later. The first realization happened though he got a mantra, but that guru gave the mantra and left Kenaram Bhattacharya. Where he went, no one knew. And he just started his spiritual practices holding on to that mantra. And that took him to that first realization, the tremendous yearning. The gurus came later. Sri Ramakrishna used to say that that for most, we know that first comes the flower, then the fruit. But there are some for whom the fruit comes first and then the flower. First the realization and then just to conform to the what is being mentioned in the scriptures, they go, they go through the journey just to confirm that whether my realization is authentic or not, then they follow the scriptures. So the first realization has happened. In the life of Ramakrishna it has happened. So he is speaking from his realization, not just he is quoting the scriptures. But that's what he is saying from his realization. Can you weep for him with the intense longing of heart? Men shed a jugful tears for the sake of their children, for their wives or for money, but who weeps for God? So long as the child remains engrossed with its toys, the mother looks after her cooking and other household duties. But when the child no longer relishes the toys, it throws them aside and yells for its mother. Then the mother takes the rice pot down from the earth, runs in haste and takes the child in her arms. So let us stop our discussion today. So you'll find it's really that entire gamut of spirituality in very simple words has been covered by Sri Ramakrishna because he is speaking from his realization. He is not quoting. When we, when, as an academician, we will find that what we do, even the simple words, we encode them with some all bombastic words. Most probably the idea is very simple, but the words, the terminologies we use, that makes it very something, appear to be something very sophisticated. But the man of realization, you read the Bible, you read any of these scriptures, which which has been as if spelt out, which has, which has been spoken from their realization. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that all these realizations are not inspiration, they are expiration. His inspiration means something uh, that he is as if gathering from outside something. It is nothing coming inside. Expiration. He has realized it within and he is just spelling out. So these are all expirations, so it is all the words and those all words which came from realization are just simple. The ultimate truth are always so simple. It's we, when we haven't realized, we make it complicated. The simple words, with, with simple words is speaking the entire gamut of religion. So that's what, so we will continue with the uh, conversation of the master and the Brahmo devotees again in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.